Welcome into the Alligator Sports Podcast. My name is Michael Hall. I am your host. We have a great show today. I talk with Brandon Hernandez and Ethan Ibe, who are covering the Gators volleyball team for the Alligator this semester. And they are also student broadcasters for GHQ, the student radio network here in Gainesville. So we talk about that. We talk about the volleyball team. We talk about Florida, Kentucky, and so much more. Be sure to listen into that interview and let's ride. Obviously, we will start in the swamp where the Florida Gators lost their first game of the season, 26 to 16 to the Kentucky Wildcats. Quarterback Anthony Richardson came back down to earth a bit after his performance against Utah, completing just 14 of 35 passes for only 143 yards and two interceptions and rushing for just four yards. Running back Montrell Johnson led the running back unit with 62 yards rushing on seven carries. Moving inside to the O-Dome, the Florida Gators volleyball team hosted the Sunshine Invitational here in Gainesville. The Gators went a perfect 3-0 in their matches, taking down Georgia Southern, Florida Gulf Coast University, and VCU, all in straight sets. Finally, we head out to the Lynx, where the Florida women's golf team got its season started in Lake Elmo, Minnesota at the Anika Intercollegiate. Junior golfer Macy Filler is in an individual tie for 7th at 3 under par, while the Gators are in a collective 7th place at 4 over par. The final round will take place on Wednesday. Now, here's my interview with Brandon Hernandez and Ethan Ibe. Brandon, Ethan, thank you so much for joining the Alligator Sports Podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, And we're going to start out just talking about Gators volleyball. Obviously, at the time of this recording, they have a big game tonight against FSU. They're off to a pretty hot start, 6-2 and on the year. Um, You guys are covering the team, so I'm going to turn it over to you. What have you seen early on from this Gators program? I mean, one of the biggest things I've seen early on is that, you know, obviously half of the roster itself is fairly new, uh, five of them being freshmen, eight, uh, three of them being transfers from different universities across the nation. But off to a six and two record. And again, with two different invitationals, they played the uh, Sunshine Invitational uh, last weekend and then earlier played the Gators Invitational. I mean, this team has built chemistry real quick at a quick and fast pace from either that be, you know, Mary Beeson now as the captain as a sophomore, and then now uh, Alexis Stuckey, who actually wasn't starting originally for the Gators, is now getting every single touch on the court, getting every single hit as a true freshman at Wyoming. So the Gators themselves, honestly, for at least the new roster they had, they look like they've been playing together for years. I definitely agree, Brandon. They had to replace a lot of their key contributors from last year, you think of people like Tara Caesar, Caesar uh, Thayer Hall, Marley Monserez, the former setter. And they bring in guy, uh, people like Alexis Stuckey, who, like you said, is now our setter. And uh, she, like what Mary Wise said before, she's uh, really been impressive as just a freshman running the offense. It's definitely someone to look into. And they've added uh, someone very interesting from St. Petersburg, Russia, the Syracuse transfer Marina Markova, who leads the team in kills. I get, you know, kind of cringy whenever I see her leap up <laughs> and, and get ready to spike something down. I'm kind of scared of what's about to happen to the people on the other side of the net. Yeah, and you mentioned Mary Wise. I mean, 
this is her 32nd year leading this Gators team. And you mentioned all the turnover they had, like losing people like Tara Caesar, Thayer Hall, people like that. How much do you think that steady presence of Wise played a role into their early success? I think it's huge. I honestly do think it's huge because, again, I mean, Mary Wise has been there, as you said before, for, you know, more than 30 years because she knows how to, you know, build a program. She knows how to make blue bloods out of the Florida Gators. And we've seen them go all the way down to, you know, the national championship, go through the tournament for multiple years. So she knows exactly how to, you know, rise her team during the right occasion. But at the same time, because we saw Florida, I mean, they had two straight losses against, you know, AP top 25 nationally ranked teams in Stanford and a close one as well as Minnesota in like the end of August as well as early September. So she even also knows how to keep the team together. So Mary Wise is not only a huge point of, you know, her experience, but as well her her character. That's probably the only way I would really describe it. You think about a Gators athletic program. We've seen so much like turnover over this last year alone in the football team, men's basketball, women's basketball in recent times. But Mary Wise has been that consistent presence for the last 30 plus years and has built the volleyball program into what it was. And when I covered the uh, Friday win against Florida Gulf Coast, that was alumni night. And they were having the players uh, from 25 years ago at the game. And they all went onto the court afterwards to take some photos and Mary Wise coached them back in the earlier part of her Florida tenure. So it's just kind of crazy to think how much she has seen in her time in Gainesville. And yet that national title remains elusive. Yeah. Speaking of that national title, I mean, the Gators are currently ranked, I believe 16th. Obviously they lost a few matches earlier in the season to Minnesota, who's ranked number four at the time, and Stanford, who's number 12. They've beaten up on some of these lesser opponents, but as we get kind of into the meat of the schedule, they have a big match against Wisconsin on Friday, who's currently the number four team, and then we get into SEC play. Where do you think this team's ceiling is? Do you see potentially a national title run? Do you think they need another year with this group kind of gelling together? What, what do you think happens kind of the rest of the way? Well, for me personally, I really do believe that it's too soon to tell. And I know, you know, we already saw again, you know, two invitationals here at, you know, the Stephen O'Connell Center. They went up against Stanford and Minnesota, end up losing those games. And the Stanford one, you know, give them props. It's them to five sets for that one. However, we talk about can they beat out Wisconsin? Can they beat out the schools out there in the Big Ten? So it's a little bit too soon to say. Obviously, you know, we're still in, in basically like one-fourth of the season right now. They haven't gone to SEC play. But you also look at the rest of the schedule. I mean, Wisconsin, as at least now, is the only team that's nationally ranked at number four currently right now. The rest, when you go to Alabama for SEC play to start on the 21st of this month, September, the rest of it, you're not going against another big matchup. So when they go off to a tournament, and have to go against nationally ranked teams and, you know, teams from different conferences, let's say the Pac-12, obviously they have a great, a couple of programs there for volleyball. Not only do they have Stanford, they also have Oregon, which I see is making a lot of news out there on the West Coast. I mean, it's too soon to tell again, but I think this roster, as much as they build up chemistry, they will be competitive, but not enough for a national title, not yet. I do concur with Brandon's assessments. Uh, to me, 
this group, they've gelled very quickly, like Brandon said before, but it may just take time. You have, like you said, a freshman like Stucky, who's going to be running the offense for the foreseeable future, and a couple other ones that are going to be sticking around for at least a few more years, like Merritt Beeson. But, you know, they were able to hang in there with Stanford, and that was certainly something to see. But going down the stretch here, getting into SEC play, it should be very interesting to see how it all unfolds. But one thing I'd like to bring up is I think Merritt Beeson is dealing with an injury right now, and yeah, he is the team so. captain. That is a massive story, mm-hmm. and it will dictate how uh, this team performs the rest of the way. And from the last time I spoke to Mary Wise on Friday um, after their last game, uh, she told she didn't she wasn't able to disclose the type of injury Beeson is dealing with, and she only said that her timetable uh, was that she'd be out for the rest of the weekend. So. After today's Florida State game, I will try to get an update from her on that. But that's definitely a big factor moving forward for how this team will perform. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask about Beeson. Um, so still no update from her. We'll see if she's on the court tonight against FSU because, like you said, team captain, like that is a big loss. How do you mm-hmm. see them kind of filling in that role? How how have they been filling in that role? And if she's out for an extended period of time, which maybe this is all all for naught. Maybe she just returns tonight and I can cut this part of the interview out. But if she's out for an extended period of time, how do you see them kind of replacing that production from one of their stars? Well, specifically, um, because at first during the uh, Sunshine Invitational, I actually saw them when against Georgia Southern during their 10 a.m. matchup against the Eagles. And, you know, Beeson was out. So, I was also kind of, you know, grabbing onto who's going to be in front of the net because Beeson does play that right side. I saw a lot of Sophia Victoria, you know, she was doing really well there. And then, of course, we also have other players going across that can always, you know, transition back and forth in the rotation. But I think this Gator team itself, besides just, you know, Sophia Victoria, also talking about Bree Kelly and, you know, Essex, Gabriela Essex. I mean, they have a lot of strengths. I think that Mary Beeson, you know, she does have that international experience from playing from Team USA during the summer. But, you know, you know, Brett Robinson, the transfer out of uh, Northern Texas, I mean, she's been phenomenal. We talk about, you know, obviously, as Ethan said before, you know, Markova has been phenomenal coming out of Syracuse and was probably one of the dominant players out there in the ACC now with the Florida Gators. So even though that Beeson is a huge part of this team, I feel like talent-wise, they're still going to survive. They're still going to compete. And in front of the net itself on the right side, I think that you might see more of Sophia Pretoria. I really do believe that she will have a bigger role on this team if Beeson does miss out, you know, a long period of time, a couple of weeks. Hopefully not for the entire season, of course. A couple of names that might get lost in the sauce, you could say. A.C. Fitzpatrick, as well as Bertie Hendrickson. We saw a lot of Bertie Hendrickson uh, before kind of stuck. He really took over as the main setter, but with Beeson out, and I watched this happen against Florida Gulf Coast Friday night, and H- H- Hendrickson was in there quite a lot. And like Brandon said, Victoria and Essex really stepped up, but they funneled most of the big plays towards Markova. So they're really going to rely on her, the other uh, pin to make things happen in Beeson's absence. Yeah, absolutely. And then I have one more volleyball question, then we'll kind of shift gears a bit. Obviously, when you go to a school like UF, there's athletic talent everywhere. A lot, I feel like a lot of more maybe casual sports fans will drift towards football, basketball, baseball. 
what would be your pitch? Obviously, you guys covering this team to fans who maybe don't know much about the volleyball team and might want to check out a game. Like, what would you say to them um, if they came up and said, hey, give me a 60 second pitch on this volleyball team? Go. A 60 second pitch? Is that what That's you're not asking? Exactly 60 seconds. Okay. But like, Honestly, notes, like, what am I looking for? We can go a couple of minutes. And again, I mean, they have a terrific programs across the University of Florida. When you look at track and field, when you look at swimming and diving. However, in the sense of volleyball, I mean, it comes with tradition. As you mentioned before, Mary Wise, more than 30 years as a head coach there. You're playing against national, you know, talent from, you know, as we saw Stanford, who was playing here in Gainesville. And then also, you know, again, they're going to be playing Wisconsin Friday this week on the 16th. So this is a team that goes against the best players and the best programs in the nation year by year. And at the same time, they're doing it while making tournaments. They're doing it while making a name for other players and themselves. And honestly, if look, students come to the games for free. But if you're an average fan, if you're living in Gainesville, you want to be a part of something that's bigger than just the, you know, the Gator Athletics, tickets are $5. <laughs> tickets are five dollars you know you go into a game you sit next to courtside you see mary wise and the entire bench i mean the bench is electric always standing up during the volleyball matches so i advise people because again there's no way to pitch something like this team than to pitch to see them live when they go against alabama on the 21st this month september i expect it to be a good sized crowd a healthy crowd and honestly i wouldn't even be surprised if one of the games gets sold out I'll take my pitch more towards the focus of the actual sport itself, because going into this semester and being told, Ethan, you're covering volleyball. I knew nothing about volleyball. <laughs> and I was like, hey, why not? Let's just try this out and see how it goes. And I, when I attended my first game, because I'm a sophomore, I didn't go to any volleyball games as a freshman. So a pitch like what we just heard from Brandon probably would have influenced me to go at that time. But going in there and seeing what the atmosphere was like and comparing it to, let's say, you know, a men's basketball game, obviously the student section isn't going to be as large, but it was significant. And the energy in the O-Dome was just a re really a sight to see. As far as the, the actual sport itself, I love how fast-paced it is and the athleticism that you see from all of these young women. It's just, it, it, I just really can't wrap my mind around it because it's so different than anything else that I've ever really been a part of. And I think that people just need to take a chance on it. Yeah. And I can speak to that too. I was, I was thrust onto volleyball my second semester. I covered golf my first semester at the alligator and I was like you, I knew the basic rules of volleyball and that was about it. But then I covered my first game and I was like, this is, this is really fun. And I covered the second one. I'm like, this is awesome. It's fast paced. It's exciting. Games are pretty short, all things considered. Um, and I feel like you never, even the breaks in between sets are short. Like everything is moving at a fast pace. If you enjoy watching freak athletes do what they do best, I feel like a volleyball game is a great thing to go to. Um, and now kind of shifting gears a minute, you both have been student broadcasters, radio announcers. Um, you both announced the Florida football game last weekend against Kentucky for uh, GHQ, the student student radio here in Gainesville. Um, can you talk a little bit about that experience, kind of how you got involved with that? 
and then your experience calling that game on Saturday? Um, so, I mean, I'll go first on this one because, you know, originally I'm actually a transfer from FIU, which is uh, Florida International, which is located in South Florida. And I started off in the spring of 2020, right when COVID hit, and I had to, you know, text uh, the guy who does uh, ESPN Plus for uh, the FIU Panthers at the time, AJ Rick, is on Twitter. Hey, do you have a program? Do you have something to do? And he was like, no, yeah, for sure, for sure. So I ended up doing my first ever call for a Marshall versus FIU women's basketball. Went to overtime. It was an incredible game to call. And I probably have to say you don't get another, you know, feeling of uplift like calling a game. So that's how I really got into broadcasting. I got full throttle. Then, of course, the pandemic hit, and I ended up transferring now here to UF. And I ended up learning about the immersion at uh, – as specifically the orientation for transfers for the spring of uh, 2022. So this year in January, I ended up going doing a couple of games for baseball and are doing a couple of games as well, um, you know, away from specifically, you know, the immersion itself for, you know, basketball on my own tape, doing NBA games here and there during the playoffs and the play-in. And honestly, the football Part of it this week, my apologies, last weekend against Kentucky. I mean, at FIU, they don't have much of a football program there, unfortunately. So you have maybe like 4,000 people in the stands. I can say I did a live broadcast that had in front 80 to 90,000 fans in the building, a couple of people here on the air in the local Gainesville area. And I was able to broadcast the game where we had number 20 against number 12 in the nation in Florida and Kentucky. That experience, let alone to even think of that, I even had the opportunity for it, thanks to the J School and the emerging program that they have here for a student broadcast like me and Ethan. I mean, it's wild to even think of. It's just, it's just wild to even comprehend that, that. I mean, me, Ethan, I mean, we did that. You know, we did that. And, of course, we'll have more opportunities later on this semester and, you know, hopefully the next semester after that. But the experience itself from that game, it was incredible, despite, of course, um, you know, the Gators they didn't have the best result out of it. But you did see some storylines. I think the defense itself find a great identity. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure we're going to talk later on about the game itself later on in this podcast. So I'll, I'm going to leave at that. You know, we'll talk about a little bit about Anthony Richardson and the offensive performance. But it was an incredible experience. No, I definitely agree. It was incredible to, to be a part of that with you. For me, everything that I do as a journalist comes down to one thing, and that's storytelling. How do I do that? I write and I do play-by-play. Because when you're writing, you can really take people through a whole journey. And with play-by-play, you can just kind of tell a story organically. You don't know what's going to come out of your mouth. You just kind of do it on the fly. And there's a lot of fun in that. But for me, um, before I even got to Gainesville, I started broadcasting for a professional baseball team in Alpine, Texas, which is far west Texas, middle of nowhere, the Alpine Cowboys. And we did that on local radio uh, for the whole summer, both Uh, last summer and this summer and it was a ton of fun and then you know I get to Gainesville and I want to continue that and I found the same thing Brandon did the uh, live Gator sports immersion experience which is run by uh, the J schools Jeff Thompson and the prep zones Mike Rydot both of those guys are outstanding and they're really committed to the program and helping young broadcasters like Brandon and I continue to grow but when the opportunity presented itself to do my first football game, I actually broadcasted the Utah one as well with my friend Devada Cullen. And that one was just incredible to be a part of because obviously 
a lot of firsts. It was the first live student broadcast on 95.3 GHQ, but it was also the first game of the Billy Napier era, the first start for Anthony Richardson, and overall just an incredible night and an incredible night of growth for myself as a young professional to identify how I can be better and what, you know, what I can do to just improve myself and my craft. And that's what I also took the opportunity to do with Brandon for the Kentucky game. And, you know, dealing with all these different guys and their different styles, I'm taking, you know, a lot of mental notes and just figuring out how I can be better. Yeah. And so who was color and who was play by play? Oh, so we actually, yeah, we actually split that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Brandon did the first half play by play and I did the color and I did the second half play by play and he did the color, which is just my luck that they couldn't score any points in the second half. So (laughs) going off of that, what is kind of one thing, obviously I've, I don't have a lot of broadcasting experience myself. Um, So what is one thing that if you're talking to someone who's never broadcast a game before that maybe they think, oh, play by play, that's just like, that's easy. You're just like saying what's happening. What is one thing or a couple of things that maybe are a lot harder and a lot more meticulous than people would, people would think about being in the booth during a game? No, yeah. So I'm going to go into retrospect because there are two different types of broadcasts you could do in the sense of sports broadcasting. You could do that media broadcast, which you might see on Al Michaels or Chris Collinsworth on TV and NBC. Unfortunately, they split the group. But besides that, uh, me and Ethan were doing specifically just radio when we do the emergence stuff. So in the sense of radio broadcasting, there's specific key notes there when you're doing radio because you're only hearing one voice and one voice only, right? You're not at the game. You, can't, you don't have a visual for you. So your words have to describe specifically what is happening on the field. Where is the ball placement? What exactly is the formation of the defense? In a sense of football retrospect, what, I mean, what's the formation? Are they playing, you know, three guys under, four guys up? Are they having, you know, five guys in a line rushing? I mean, what exactly are we looking at the coaches? Like, there's a lot of details we have to pinpoint and put down your broadcast. However, there is one thing, and I know me and Ethan have a little bit of a controversy talking about all the time, time and score on a radio broadcast. Those two things, you have to instill that as it is. It's your own religion when you're broadcasting. Like every single play I personally do, you know, I'll be exact. For example, I'll be like, you know, seven to six right now. Floor on top of Kentucky here in the second quarter with four minutes, 39 seconds remaining. Ball placed at the 45-yard line on the Florida side of the field here. Anthony Richardson now in the pocket in the shotgun formation. Three receivers to the right of him, one to the left. The left receiver being shorter. Has a man alone on an island. And then, you know, stuff like that. You're specifically the game itself for a lot of people. And there's, it's hard to explain it, but the only way I could say is that, you know, you're, you're a one man working crew. And sometimes you have color, you know, it's a duo broadcasting for thousands of people. So you're the eyes and ears of everyone out there. To really tie a bow on what Brandon just said, you are painting the entire picture. They Mm -hmm. don't have a visual aid. It is up to you to tell them what is going on. And the real art of this whole play-by-play thing that we're so new at, and yet we try to get better every week, you have to not only tell people what's going on, you have to tell them why it matters. You need to weave in the narratives constantly. So you have, you know, all, oh, here's the thing. You, you talked about before, Michael, how, what's something people don't know about the whole play-by-play thing and broadcasting. Mm-hmm. The preparation is meticulous tedious and sometimes downright insane 
and incredibly time consuming. I will, I wish that folks can see this, but this was my board. I'm showing it here on our <laughs> Zoom call. That's only for audio for the listeners, but this I uh, I made on a Manila folder and I printed out four sheets, one each with the Gators offense, defense, Kentucky offense, and defense. And so that way, whenever something happens and I want to identify a player really quick, I know that I can just look down and see any information that I want to have easily uh, able to reference. And that really came into play during the second half when I was on play-by-play, unfortunately, Anthony Richardson throwing an interception that was intended for right, but it was picked off by the cornerback, Keydron Smith. Mm-hmm. And in the moment, I see, oh, Kentucky, number one, don't know his name, look down, boom, there it is. And I can say it as it's happening, and it sounds natural. And that's just because I've put so much time into my prep that it makes it sound easy and right off the cuff. And compare that to baseball, which is what I would say is my primary sport. In a baseball broadcast, you have so much more time to just let things happen because there's so much time in between plays. You need to be rifled with stories. You need to know different things that you can bring up. When it comes to a football game or even a basketball or pretty much any other sport that has a faster pace of play, you need to just be on what's happening in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. And that makes a lot of sense. I know I've listened to interviews with like Brandy mentioned Al Michaels and people like Aaron Andrews and they're like, the hardest thing is the preparation. Like you're, you're always on in broadcasting because of how much prep you're doing. Um, and then kind of shifting gears one last time, obviously we have to talk about the Kentucky game. This is a Florida Gators sports podcast i feel like it'd be taken off the air if we didn't at least mention football um so obviously being in the booth what were some of your takeaways obviously this team had a lot of hype coming into this game after upsetting utah um i think the defense still i think the defense showed a lot more promise than it did against utah um while the offense scaled back personally i think there was a lot of hype going into this game like i said before I think that might might have gotten to the young Anthony Richardson. Um, I don't know where you guys sit on that, uh, uh, but just yeah, what are your what were your thoughts, impressions, takeaways from from the loss on Saturday? Well, honestly, because I mean, Ethan can also talk about this as well. But I mean, we talked about our final thoughts after our broadcast on our post game show, and the one thing that I saw bleeding into from, of course, the struggles offensively in the first half leading into that fourth quarter where you have, you know, the special teams of Kentucky. I don't know what exactly was going on with Ruffalo, uh, the kicker for the Wildcats, but I mean, he had the worst day I can possibly imagine. I mean, you know, a long snapper going away over his head, like his, you know, his job description, he ends up kicking the ball away for a safety and uh, a bunch of other things, but the Gators always had a chance in the game, even though they were lacking behind offensively in intensity for what I took away from this game against Kentucky. And I understand second week, early in the season, Billy Napier, new head coach, Andrew Richardson, only his second start in the swamp. They don't have an identity. They lack an identity offensively. You saw Anthony Richardson week one, 106 yards rushing on his legs, led the team. I believe he had less than 10 yards rushing overall in that second game. Yeah, he had four. Only four. Only four. That's a primary number. I can only put that with my hands. 
if you're a quarterback in the SEC, especially with the athleticism like Anthony Richardson, you're having scouts out there. From what I saw in the booth, and Ethan could probably talk about this as well, the amount of scouts that are out there, we had a Baltimore guy behind us as well. Do whatever you want with that news, but there is teams out there looking at Anthony Richardson with a microscope. No matter exactly how many reps he's had as a sophomore, a lot of people talk about, you know, maybe it's too early to have, you know, these high impact games for someone's career in their sophomore year like Anthony Richardson is having right now. But he's got to step up. I mean, he was laying on his routes, passing around. There was a lot of times, even the interception uh, to uh, Smith, which Ethan was talking about uh, previously, I mean, that was laying on the route, miscommunication with, I believe, Montreal Johnson. And that is something that either Billy Napier has to cook up or Andy Richardson has to go back into the film and attack the issue and fix it up for South Florida next week. But the main thing I took away from the game, there's no identity yet for these Gators offensively. The defense, you know, Ventral Miller, Javon Dexter. The pass rush itself is probably the strongest thing from this defense and probably the D-line itself is probably one of the best in the SEC. If I can argue, I can argue with that and die on that hill. But the D-line is probably the most strong part of this team. And offensively, besides the O-line and, of course, you know, Trevor Etienne, the true freshman leading out this team in the past two games as probably the most biggest surprise. I mean, the Gators have a lot to work out offensively. I definitely agree. It's been a lot of fun watching, you know, ETN do his thing as a true freshman, making things happen um, in the running back room. But I think that this past game was really a reality check for Billy Napier and the Gators, you know, riding the high of that Utah victory. But certainly there was a lot, you know, to enjoy about that. But, you know, now beginning SEC play and facing uh, an offense and a team, the caliber of Kentucky, there was just too much, too many mental mistakes that went wrong. And I said this a lot on the broadcast, the team that makes the least amount of mistakes will win. The team that takes advantage of the other team's mistakes will win. Florida did that a couple of times. They got the ETN touchdown off of that turnover. Uh, I believe it was Levis. He, he kind of got uh, knocked down and threw an interception and that was uh, Dexter that picked it off. And mm. they were able to take advantage of that and the long snap that went over Ruffalo's head. But you know, AR throwing that pick to Smith, they never gave up the lead again after that. So that was, there was really a finality in that, but it's going to be, you know, how can Anthony Richardson and the Gators bounce back from that? They have a couple of, I would say, you know, pretty easy games coming up against South Florida. Um, we'll see how Tennessee goes, but then, you know, you have Eastern Washington coming up. So these will be, this will be the next few weeks, some games to really just regroup and see where they are. Yeah, and you mentioned that Tennessee game, I think, because USF this weekend should be a bit of a get-right situation for them. But you mentioned going to Tennessee. It was really interesting to see how they look on the road um, for their first road game of the year against an explosive Tennessee offense. Brandon, Ethan, thank you so much for joining the Alligator Sports Podcast. We really appreciate it. I'm sure you guys will probably be back on at some point during, uh, during the season. Uh, if you want to shout out your social handles so people can follow you, now's the now's the time. All right. Well, uh, specifically because I also do write for the Alligator, but I am across a lot of podcast channels as well. But you can find everything that I do and more on uh, Twitter, specifically uh, Brand H two thousand and one B R A N H two. And for me, uh, besides you know all the writing we do for the Alligator and all the fun times that we have. Uh, besides that, all the broadcasting stuff uh, that I'm involved with, you can 
see everything that I do on my Instagram and my Twitter. And that's just my name, uh, at Ethan Ibe, spelled E-T-H-A-N-E-I-B-E. Thank you so much again to Brandon and Ethan for hopping on the podcast, talking some volleyball, talking some football, and some broadcasting. Hope you really enjoyed it. Taking a look at what's to come for Gator Athletics, it will be a big weekend starting on Friday where Cross Country will travel up to Oxford, Mississippi to compete in the SEC Preview Meet. Men's Golf will travel to Chicago to take part in the Fighting Illini Invitational. Florida Soccer will host Tennessee at 7 p.m. And at 8.30, Florida Volleyball will play against Wisconsin at Wisconsin. Moving on to Saturday, obviously, Florida hosts USF in football. That game will be on SEC Network at 7.30. And then Women's Tennis starts to play their first events of the season um, in Lubbock, Texas on Monday and Tuesday. And Women's Golf will travel to College Station, Texas to take part in the Mo Memorial Invitational on Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, That's the show. If you listen this far... Thank you. I appreciate it. Follow Alligator Sports, follow The Alligator, read The Alligator. And if you want, follow me on Twitter at Michael underscore Hall 33. Um, I recently did an interview with Kyle Trask and that Q&A went up on the site a few days ago. Be sure to listen to that and read that. And yeah, just thank you again for, for listening. The opinions of this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the alligator.